As Brad said, my name is John. I'm the South Campus pastor, and South Campus means I live in Byron Center, so I'm excited to be with you today. And if we're not friends on Facebook yet, that is your mission, all right? As soon as you go home, you need to add me on Facebook because I have a self-issue, a self-esteem problem, and I need more Facebook friends, all right? So I just want to let you know that real quick up front. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm working on it. But Facebook is funny because the average Facebook user, I don't know if you know this, has 338 friends, right? And studies show and science kind of proves the fact that we can really only have around 100-ish connections meaningfully with people in our lives. So 338 friends, and you know if you've got a Facebook, and by show of hands, just pop it real high in the air if you've got a Facebook, so I know who hasn't added me yet. All right, wow, I got a lot of work. Okay, you've got a lot of work, I should say. But if you're on Facebook, you know that it's good for a few things, right? It's good for knowing about a thousand ways to wrap something in bacon, right? The tasty recipe videos, you know that through Facebook. You can see house listings. You can see advertisements for local businesses. You can talk to people you haven't talked to since high school. And most importantly, it helps you remember your wife's birthday, right? Facebook is a good tool when it comes to that or your anniversary or any of those important dates. Here's what Facebook is not great for. Facebook is not great for fostering meaningful and deep relationships with people. It is meant to connect one another, right? So you're probably connected to people maybe you haven't seen. You've got relatives like I do who are out of town. It's a good way to track with all that they're doing, but it's not the best tool for having real and deep and meaningful community with other people. And here's why I know this. There's so many people on Facebook, but so many of us experience a, a lack of meaningful relationships with other people. You may walk into this room every Sunday morning and feel like you don't know anybody, that you maybe don't belong, and that you're not truly known. And our heart is that as you attend Frontline, as you step into our community, that it wouldn't just be a Facebook experience, that you'd actually be known and learn to grow in that community. What's funny about Facebook, though, and maybe this is just me, but I always post things that make me look really good. Right? I always post pictures that make me look really good. I've got an example of this. This is my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, and my wife. There she is on the count of three. Let's just say all together. Make me feel better. One, two, three. That's right. They're very precious, very nice people. Here's the picture they did not post. Exactly. Exactly. Right? You've been there, and you've got those pictures on your phone, but you're not willing to share them. What's funny about things like Facebook or just social media in general is that pictures we post are really a representation of our best selves. We want people to know the best parts of us. What we don't want is people to see the parts that are a little bit messy, parts that are ugly, the parts in which we're wrestling through something, whether it's our kids or our career or just our own relationship with God. We don't want to share those things. And here's why I think that is. I think deep down, every single one of us is afraid to be known. I think we're afraid to be known. I think, and I've said this before, and you maybe said this before, if people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. If people knew the real John, maybe they wouldn't accept me, or maybe they'd think about me in a different way. I think there's an underlying fear, not just in our lives, but in our culture, in our world, a fear of being known. 
I know this because I got to journey through a small group last semester. I'd highly recommend it. It literally changed so many of my relationships at the church I'm a part of down in their South Campus. One of the stories that came out of that is as we journeyed for eight weeks, and that's what a small group is, eight weeks where you meet week after week, you share the scriptures together, you eat together, which is my personal favorite, but you also get to pray together and just hear one another's stories and burdens. And one of those was our last week, a friend I've got by the name of Tim, and Tim was sharing in the small group, and it began to open up about something he'd never shared with anyone before. You've been in those moments, right, where they're like, hey, no one else knows this but. And what follows, they kind of are trusting you with that information. So eight weeks in, he shares this story. And we're sitting around eating afterwards. The small group time is kind of over, and we're all packing up to go home. And he kind of leans over and says, you know what? I've never shared that with anyone before. When I told you guys in the small group, I never shared that. Why? Because I was afraid. I was afraid of being known. I was afraid of, what if I share this? Are they going to accept me? Are they going to like me? Are they going to think I'm weird or kick me out of the group or kick me out of the church because of what I shared? And obviously, we did not because my own story reflects that same fear. There's been seasons of my own life in which I was hesitant to be vulnerable, to be honest for fear of truly being known, for fear of what might happen if I shared the deepest part of me my struggles, my wrestlings with God, the tension I have in relationships that goes unresolved, family members who are far from Jesus, all of those things, it's hard to open up about. But here's what I believe, and we're going to dive into a story all about community, all about the fact that God works through community. But here's what I believe is true. Every single one of us and every single one of you are one community away from being known. Just one community away, one experience, one group of people, one friendship, one meaningful and deep and transparent relationship from being truly known. And you have those relationships. There may be some of you, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's someone in your small group or someone here at Frontline. But when you're truly known, it changes everything. And you realize that's how you were created to be. And so if you've got your scriptures there, if you've got a device, I'm going to encourage you to to turn to Acts 2. And the book of Acts is essentially a recounting. It's It's a story of people just like you and me, who God gave an incredible mission. We talk about the Great Commission in three action verbs, reaching, connecting, and sending. But there's ordinary people who were given this incredible mission. And this is what they do with it. Acts is what they actually did with it, the actions that they, took, that they took. So if you've got your Bible, Acts 2.42 reads this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily. There's something about that initial Acts 2 community, that that experience of being known, 
that translated into radical acts of service, of generosity, of evangelism, of sharing this great commission. Here's the truth. If you're a note taker, I want you to walk away with this one truth, and then we're going to continue on in the scriptures. But it's this, that when you're known, your needs, and some of your deepest needs are met. When you're really known, your deepest needs, your needs, some of those are physical for you, some of those are relational, some of those are financial, but in these types of communities, when you're known, your needs are met. We like to experiment with Greek here, and a couple weeks ago, David shared a Greek word. This one's way easier, so I'm, getting, I'm letting you off the hook with having to say this one, but it's this word koinonia, and so we're going to say it together so I don't look bad when I mispronounce it in about five minutes, okay? Is that fair? Let's try it. All right, one, two, three, koinonia. Beautiful, koinonia. I don't really know where that all works together, but koinonia essentially is these two huge ideas in Scripture mashed into one word. It's this idea of community and being known in relationships and generosity. Needs being met, radical acts of service and giving so that people in the community have their needs met. When you're known, your needs are met. But think about this story. Again, we brush through stories like this all the time and like, hey, look, get me to the main point. But place yourself in this story. In Acts 2, in verse 41, look what happens. If you got your scriptures, you see it. Those who accepted his message were baptized. So you think it's a logistical nightmare to plan 25 baptisms. How about 3,000, right? Let's, let's put that together and see how that goes. That's a long service. You're going to dinner time at least to make that happen. 3,000 people baptized, and then 3,000 people added to the church. And that's just counting men, right? You've got women and children. You've got whole families who are saved into this new community. And then in Acts 2, 42, it says they all gathered together. So you're not only planning a baptism, you've got a dinner party for 3,000 people, right? Figure that one out. Like, good luck. You think Thanksgiving's bad. That would be a whole new problem. And so these people are banding together. They're seeking the way of Jesus, this new thing, this new gospel, this good news. They're beginning to live it out, but they've got all these extra people, and they all need a place to stay, a place to eat, a place to worship. And so it's a different problem for this community that once was a couple hundred, and now is expanded to thousands, maybe tens of thousands by this point in the scriptures. And so these people are writing this, this writer, Luke, is writing about this band of people and what they did with the Great Commission. So you see in Acts 2.42 what they did. They gathered together. They devoted themselves to teaching, to prayer, to radical acts of generosity, to giving as those who had need. Scholars talk about Acts 2.42 to 47, this passage that we're going to be in this morning, as this, being described as this, this act, this moment of uncommon fellowship. Uncommon fellowship. Have you ever had those relationships? They just feel something different about them. There's something supernatural about them. There's something inherently spiritual about them. You can't describe it. You don't know why, but it's the people in your life who, when you're with them, you sense that God is in the room. You can't describe it perfectly, but uncommon fellowship is a way that we kind of talk about this passage. And this wasn't new. And the reason it was uncommon is that Pharisees, the spiritually elite, the leaders of the religious community in that day had somewhat of a similar model of community. 
they gathered together. They were devoted to a set of teachings. They fasted. They prayed. They gave to the poor. They did all of these things. But here was the X factor of this passage. At the beginning of Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls. God's breath, God's presence, God's power infuses this new community to do things that have not been possible without it. It had a different flavor to it. And koinonia is that idea. It's the fact that it's not just community, because you've been part of community, right? You've been a part of a club or maybe a small group that just kind of was nice, and you finished out the time, and it was like, okay, let's figure out the next thing. It was really just more of a club. And you've been on the other side of it. You've been, you may be given to a charity this last year. You've given to the church or you've been generous and served in the Christmas blessing a couple months ago. But those two things separated are not what Koinonia is talking about. Koinonia, this beautiful community, is the mashing together of these two things. When you think about it in our world, it's like, is that even possible? Could that really happen again? Is there a possibility for this room to model community and generosity again. And well-intentioned people take passages like this and they run and they say, that's why you all need to be communists, right? You've maybe had friends like that. It's like, see, that's why we all needed to share everything. I should be able to walk into your fridge and raid it, like that kind of idea. I wouldn't mind that personally. Maybe you would. You probably would if I kept doing it over and over again. But well-intentioned people said, this is what we need to do. We need to live this out. But look in the text What happens? That in verse 44, the believers are together and they had everything in common. Everything's not necessarily reflecting possessions or material goods, but everything is in their soul. They were in accordance with one another. Their will and desires were lined up. That's kind of what worship is, right? We get together and we're praising God together. Our will, and hopefully in some way, is aligned with God's will in those moments. And generosity here is not mandated because you see what happened. People who are wealthy, people who had means, in verse 45, they sell their property. And then they don't stop there. They sell their possessions to give, koinonia, to give to anyone who had need. Generosity wasn't mandated, but it certainly in the scriptures was celebrated. It was a point of reference for communities that would follow after them that this is the type of community that following Jesus forms. Again, you read scriptures like this, and I thought about it this way. Picture these people, new community, don't really know one another, and they're kind of having a small group experience. They have the small group experience, and at the end, someone shares, hey, I've got a $50,000 financial need, 50K. I've got some serious financial problems, and if I don't pay this, I'm going into massive debt, or I'm going to go broke, or I'm going to be bankrupt, or I'm going to get evicted. All these, I've got $50,000 worth of a problem. And after that small group, you and some friends decide, hey, we should sell our house to give to this person. Picture that. Literally picture, that's you, standing outside of your house for sale. And the only reason that you did that is koinonia, is community. It's because you're relationally connected that fuels generosity. When you are known, you meet others' needs as well. Bonhoeffer has this quote, and I begin to ask the question, why would someone do that? And it kind of is explained. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Nazi Germany, 
persecuted for his faith, and he believed that Acts 2 could be lived out again. This is what he said. The brother is a burden to the Christian precisely because he's a Christian. For the pagan or the outsider, the brother never becomes a burden at all. He simply sidesteps every burden that brother may impose upon him. What is he saying? He's saying there's something unique about Christian community. There's something that burdens our heart in a different way than just watching a commercial and giving to a charity. Koinonia, community and generosity, when we're connected, when we're seeking relationship with other people, people are going to become a burden to you, and that's a good thing. Because I would say the majority of our world does not operate that way. We simply sidestep and try to get around other people's problems, but God is calling us to be a community that meets others' needs. When you're known, you meet others' needs. Your needs are met, sure, but the emphasis soon becomes as you mature in Christ, and some of you are there, and some of you are on the journey, but when you're known, you begin to meet others' needs. There's things that happen in your life that just cause you to think different, expands your worldview, and generosity is no longer a mandate, but something to celebrate. It's something to be excited about. And real community, I'll say it this way, it's going to cost you something. You know that. Because your best relationships cost you the most. Our best relationships cost us the most. And when it comes to a spouse, the reason that maybe your marriage is in an amazing spot right now is because you've consistently invested day after day, month after month, hard year after hard year. And you've stayed connected. And you've served. You've done things that cost you something. Our best relationships cost us the most. Maybe it's a friendship. That to you, it's one of those relationships we talked about in which it has like a supernatural element to it. You just, you get energy and life and passion when you're around this person. You know why that is? It's because you've spent maybe years, maybe decades investing in that relationship, and subsequently, your needs become met. If you've got your Bible, you can see in verse 46 something that's interesting. And again, I've read this passage maybe a hundred times. and heard messages on it. I skipped over this part every time. In verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day. There's no community without consistency. There's no community without consistency. When you and I pledge to commit and be consistent in a relationship, you are going to see the benefit of community. You will begin to meet needs, but your own needs will be met. Your own needs are going are to come to the forefront because you're in community. You're known, but they're met because you're known. They're met because you've got a relationship with other people people. And I've sat and talked to many people over the last couple of years of full-time ministry in my life who were disappointed, who were let down, that people didn't know their needs, but they had never taken steps to be known. They never got themselves in a position, an environment in which they were consistently known. And the reason that I'm such a fanatic about small groups is that it forces you for at least eight weeks to be consistent to show up, to be, to be missed when you're not there. 
to truly be known, to share things you've never shared before because you've got koinonia. There's this community, this generous attitude that's around you. That's what I think is some of the power of my friend Tim's story, is that Tim had never been a part of a small group before, but because every single week, he didn't miss one week, every single week for two months straight, he was in community with other people and began to share needs and had needs met and be able to pray over him was an incredible thing as he shared something he'd never shared before for fear of being known, of really sharing. The author here of Acts, Luke, Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts, was a Greek. And in Greek culture, you got together at least once a month, whether it's your family or you had a civic duty to be together. And so the fact that Jesus's community met every single day was a little bit weird, okay? It's a little bit odd that every day they were together. And you may be like, wait, 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 hold on. I've got a busy schedule. You're asking me to be at church every single day? No, I'm just asking you to do what the scriptures say, is to be in community with people every day. And that's going to cost you something. It may cost you a few texts here and there. It may cost you a coffee here and there. It may cost you a relationship here and there. But for you, community has got to be worth it because the best relationships come at the greatest cost. Here's what I know. Here's what I believe. And if you studied the scriptures for any length of time, you've noticed this. If you're a good Bible student, you've noticed this. People make a difference, right? We would all agree with that, right? People can make a difference. But communities change the world. People can make a difference. You can go and do your own thing, and you're going to have some impact. But communities are what God has chosen. It's his precious vehicle for changing the world. When he said in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, helping them to obey, and he would be with, he didn't say with you, he says with them. He's going to be with us together. It takes every single one of us. And community really is just God's practical way of expressing his heart. In John 13, it'll be on the screen. If you want to just flag it in your notes, you can. Jesus is talking to this band of disciples, the same community of people that he gave the Great Commission to. And this is what he says in verse 34, and then we'll read 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And here's what he says that is so profound. By this, by what? fact that we're loving one another, that there's koinonia, there's community and generosity and service. By this, everyone will know that you are what? My disciples. You are going to know, the world is going to know that you really follow Jesus by how well you do this, loving one another. You can't do that without consistency. You can't do that without elements of generosity. You can't do that without it costing you something. But the benefit is that the world would know that you follow in the way of Jesus, that your life is committed and dedicated to Jesus. And maybe you're a total skeptic in the room, and we're glad that you're here. Maybe you're exploring faith, or maybe you're coming, like I have friends who came from a background of agnosticism or atheism, and, and you're kind of wondering, why do we do this? That, that's why. That's why. That's why we do this. 
is that we can actively love one another. It's a consistent place. That's why when you're not here, I hope that you feel like you missed out on something. I hope that at our South Campus, and I get to lead that and be a part of what God is doing in the Byron community, I hope that when people aren't there, they sense that they miss out on something because there's something special about a community. And there's something special about being welcomed in and being known. Despite your flaws, despite your mistakes, despite the things you think hold you back from God. And this is getting harder. I don't know if you know this, but 84% of people say they couldn't go one day without checking their what? Phone. You like read my mind. That was amazing, right? 84% of people couldn't go one day without checking their phone. You know what really freaks me out about this whole idea of community and now technology? is that my grandma has a Facebook account. Like, that is freaking me out a little bit. It's kind of blowing my worldview. I was like, wait, and her name's Dot. I'm like, Mama Dot, how do you, how do you know how to use that? She's like, I don't know. Like, if she got logged out, her Facebook career would be over. She would have no idea how to get back in, right? She would be totally lost, but she's logged in, and she checks in on us, and it's an incredible thing. But I really think technology's somewhat been another obstacle to us so many times in having real community. You could have 338 friends and not be known by anyone. And that's why this matters. That's why koinonia is what the scriptures say is the ideal for people who are following Christ, this mix of community and generosity, but most importantly, being known by someone. Being known. Community is not downloadable. It's just not. You can download a lot of things. You can even listen to better sermons than the one you're hearing right now, tonight, when you go home and go to iTunes. Like, that's fair game. I'm with you. Community, though, is not downloadable. You can't fake it. You can't buy it. You can't recreate it. Because without God, without the Holy Spirit, without God's power, And presence, community will just turn into another thing on your calendar, but something that doesn't actually change you. God's after you being a different person. God's come to give you a new and a full life. And community is so often the avenue. And you may think, oh yeah, sure, like we have to figure this out. We've got all these issues and you're showing me this passage in Acts 2 in which they had it nailed. Read the rest of the story. Acts 3 to 28 is the rest of their journey. And if you've read parts of Acts, you know that they had issues with one another. There was racial tension. There was cultural problems. There was infighting. There was financial issues that popped up. All these things happened. But you know what they didn't stop doing? Pursuing community. They didn't stop there. And maybe you've had seasons of your life in which you've said this. And I've I've had people say this to me. John, I'll come back to church when this is resolved. I'll come back to church when my kids kind of have their act figured out. I'll come back to church when I'm in a better spot in my personal life. Can I just say, I hope that I never hear that again from us. You know why? Because this is the best place to be, specifically if you're going through something hard, specifically if you're going through a struggle that is is bigger than you and feels overwhelming to you, you don't need to stop attending church because you're ashamed. Because community, this is God's way of expressing his heart 
not just to people, but to you, to us, to remind her every single week that, that life is not meant to be lived alone, but when we're connecting or reaching, but also connecting, we can do things that God is calling us to do that we didn't imagine. And look in the result. You've got your scriptures still open. In verse 47, look what happens. The people are praising God. But what else? They enjoy the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. See, community will definitely change you. And yes, community can change the world. Connecting with one another will change the world. It's the evidence of God's love and God's fellowship with you in your life. But I believe this, just like you're one community away from being known, that you're also one community away from a totally different life. One community away. One connection away. One small group away. One next workshop after the service away. One service away. Because Jesus invested so highly in community, believed in it so much, that in John 17, one of the longest prayers that we have that Jesus ever prayed, recorded in the Scripture, you know what his prayer was? That you and I would be one. Community. That you and I would be koinonia. That you and I would be a community of generosity that the world looks at and says, I want some of that. I can't find it, but I, I know I need it. I can't manufacture it online or in other environments, but I know that that's what I'm after, truly being known. And so you may be saying, okay, I've acknowledged that I've got a fear of being known, but I know that, that I need to be known. I know that my needs are not being met, and I want to experience that in community. Now, let me just say, you don't need to jump into community for selfish reasons, but if that's how you start, that's okay. If you've got a relational gap or physical need, we want you to be a part of community. We want you to be a part of this church. And there's three real easy things you can do. Three steps. You don't have to take all of them. They're not even in a row. You can just do one of these things. It's going to get you in places and environments in which you can pursue community. The first one is real simple. I've already talked about it. It's just join a group. You've got a brochure, multiple options. There's really no excuses beyond your own life. I'm just saying, hey, for eight weeks, I'm going to commit to this because I know that I need it. I know that I, I want to be known. And groups are the place that we, we foster that the best. It's why they're built. So you can have a place to make friends, to build relationships, to be prayed for, and to be known. The second is one that uh, Brad talked about earlier. It's attending what we're calling our next workshop. And the next workshop is again a place where people are literally right after the service armed and ready for you to show up and for you to begin to journey through this pathway of discipleship, of following after Jesus, of experiencing koinonia. And then you can figure out where you're at on that map and figure out how to get where you need to go. To close the gap this year between you and God. And the third is for those of you who maybe had strong relationships in the past. Maybe you were a part of small groups or led a small group or you know exactly where you need to grow. I would just challenge you this morning to start being 
consistent. There's no community without consistency. Maybe for you, it's after the service, sending a text to that person. Maybe it's sending a text to your spouse. Maybe it's committing to reinvesting in your kids. But to be consistent, to show up, to be present. Maybe it's removing yourself from social media for a time so that you can be consistent. But you're going to experience all that God has for you you commit to be consistent in community you're one community away from a totally different life one community away so what I wanted to do is, is pray for us pray for you as friends as fellow journeyers in this way of Jesus of people exploring faith and to pray that through this community God would literally change the world do you believe that he can do that believe him at his word when he says you're one community away that his prayer would be that we are one that actually all of the world your co-workers who are far from God would know that you're a disciple because you're in community you're loving other people you're connected relationally I do I've experienced that people like Tim have experienced that people like the people on this platform experience that so let's pray together and then we're going to share something as a community. Lord, we thank you that you're present, that you are real, and that in you, the person that knows us the most, the person who's created us, the person that the scriptures say literally is holding us together right now in this moment, knows us and yet loves us unconditionally, without reserve, without regrets. God, we just confess that wherever we're at in the journey, whether it's our hesitation to join a group, whether it's our lack of reflection to not know, hey, where am I at spiritually? Or maybe it's just our inconsistent life. I pray that, God, you'd give us courage, that you'd motivate us, that you'd draw us unto yourself so that the world would know, so that zero people would be left wondering why they would know that we're your disciples, that we're following after you. God, I pray that today this will be a watershed moment for some of us in which we experience like never before community and generosity and being known of koinonia, being lived out among us. Thank you that that's your heart, that we don't go at this alone. We pray it all in the strong and the matchless powerful name of Jesus. Amen. As a community, something we celebrate, something we love to do, is to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. You may have heard it called communion or the Eucharist, but to celebrate this simple meal that the scriptures say are intended for you and I to reflect, to examine ourselves, but to celebrate. As a community, the sacrifice and the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus on the cross. So just some real basic instruction as the band leads us. There's four stations around the room. There's two in the back and two up front. There's gluten-free stations up here as well. That's something you need. But during this next song, if you want to journey up here and you feel like your heart is ready, that your relationship is pure with Jesus, that you'd go to one of these stations 
take communion. You can do it at the table. There's baskets there. You're going to throw it right back in. Or if you want to bring it back to your seat to pray, to reflect, to ask God, how can I live in a community? How can I experience all that you have for me as I connect? We'd encourage you to do that. So the band's going to lead us. We're going to worship Jesus together. But let's do that as we take communion as well. And then I'll come back up and close us. But let's worship in this. Let's see God.